0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and welcome to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI storytelling night I host and program. Queer Stories events happen regularly in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, and I'm also now hosting them in regional towns. If you enjoy these stories, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and consider buying a copy of the Queer Stories book, a collection of 26 of the stories edited by me and published by Hachette. I'm really proud of this collection and I hope you enjoy it too. Dr Rachel Richardson is currently sub-dean learning and teaching with the Faculty of Arts and Education, Charles Sturt University. Rachel is a passionate advocate for the rights of transgender people and is devoted to developing regional initiatives. She performed this story at the first Albury-Wodonga Queer Stories in September 2018.
0: Before I start my story, I'm obliged to clarify a term I'm going to use. Cisgender. Put simply, if you're not transgender, then you are what we call cisgender. Even in this room tonight, cisgender probably applies to nearly every person here. Tonight, I'd like to tell you a couple of stories about growing up transgender. When I was about six, I remember being inspired by this British comedy where in one episode some airborne pathogen gets into the room where all these people are working, causing them all to go to sleep. And when they awake, they have all transitioned gender. Such a strange idea. Well, not for a trans kid. It was not only perfectly sensible, it was aspirational. With my friends later... I proposed a game where we did just that. I'm not sure how I convinced everyone to do this, but I do know that we did all lay down and have a little sleep. And on my signal, we woke up and hey, presto, opposite gender. I was scripting this little play, so I got to wake up and enjoy the moment first. And it felt like I had awoken in perfect world. I was walking around smiling and feeling I was in my natural self, my natural body, looking out onto the world as if I was in some special place beyond me, beyond here, some place where I could be seen as I truly was, me, girl, and seen unambiguously that way. But slowly at first and then more urgently and painfully I became aware of the voices and the presence of the other kids around me and they were doing the weirdest things boys, now girls were prancing around and talking in high-pitched voices and crying or whinging about wanting their mummy or their dolly or something. The girls, now Boys, what were they doing? Yeah, stomping around and yelling in deep voices and here's an insight for all you gender violence experts, punching each other, (laughs) Or the girls. I looked at these hysterical children punching each other and shrieking at each other and I thought, you people, what's wrong with you? If I didn't know before... That little exercise proved beyond all doubt that cisgender people were weird. (laughs) And that these cisgender friends of mine were going to need a lot of cross-gender play therapy. (laughs) When I was about nine, we moved from a seaside village to a rural district, an old dairy farming area in the hinterland behind Lake Macquarie. Not long after moving there, I made a friend. Let's call him Rob. Rob was a lovely country kid with natural, swarthy, country boy looks and a face that I just like to see a lot. (laughs) Rob and I were the same age, we were in the same class at school and he lived on a neighbouring farm. We pretty soon became great mates. And this was pretty amazing to me because I had, up to this point, often occupied less favourable social positions. I was generally considered to be different to my peers, especially my so-called gender peers. I was not a normal boy. Even the parents of other kids thought I was strange and really not a desirable playmate. But not this time. No, I was for once a best mate and Rob's mother thought I was delightful. Now I walked around with a kind of invisible mantle. I was light of step, happy beyond caring, and lived for the next time that Rob and I would spend time together. Because it was my special talent, Rob and I played a lot of imaginative play. Much of it scripted and directed by me, the frustrated filmmaker. One day, playing down by the creek, as we would do, we agreed to play Robinson Crusoe. I decided we need to go for authenticity, tropical island castaway style. Rob agreed. Next thing, we were standing there naked, with some paper bark torn off the trees along the creek bed as our clothes. I tucked some paper bark sheets into my belt, creating a little native skirt. We might have been in a dry creek bed in a cow paddock, but I certainly felt very authentic. <laughs> We decided on roles, Rob would become Robinson Crusoe, tall, swarthy and resourceful. And I would be, well, I would not be Man Friday. No, I would be Girl Friday. I raised this tentatively at first, but amazingly, Rob went with it and we played for, oh, too short a time that day with him defending us from wild animals and other imagined threats and me looking after his wounds and making us lovely dinners. (laughs) And for once, and not the last time in our friendship, I felt someone could really see me, really knew who I was and didn't care for the incidental artefacts of my body that everybody else in my life just couldn't overlook. It was the safest I had ever felt with a cisgender person, and the only time in the next 40 odd years I would ever feel unjudged and free to be myself with another human being, even if it was just all play. Of course, Rob and I, we didn't last as friends. I did manage to sneak in a few girl roles for me In some of my gender-bending scripts, we played out. But by the time we were 12, our time was running out. Rob found new friends. Real cisgender friends. Real boys he liked knocking about with. And he got a girlfriend when we went to high school. Mandy, a real girl. The last time Rob and I really spoke, I told him I wished we could still play like we used to and be friends like we used to. I told him I didn't like his new friends and that they were taking him away from me. Couldn't he see that? Didn't he know they were bad news? They were rough and horrible. But he just said I was wrong. They were great guys. You don't give a stuff about me, I retorted, tears streaming down my face. His slightly scared expression and silence told me that, no, he didn't really care about me anymore. All he could see was a sad, lonely weirdo with tears and snot dribbling over my lip. We rode our bikes home in silence that day. At the turn off to my place, he just said, see ya, and rode on without looking back. I used to dream of being able to be seen as I really am, being identified everywhere unambiguously as me, a girl. And not just any girl either. No, I wanted to be the girl that every other girl wanted to be. The cool one, the naturally sweet and carefree one. The one who just knew what to wear and how to wear it. The girl whose bright smile could lighten the mood whose lithe and graceful body could entrance the onlooker like the girl from Ipanema. The girl with girls just hanging out to be her friend. To be on her team in her life. To be, well, her. You know, like Marsha from the Brady Bunch. (laughs) And the jealousy I felt towards cisgender people who just had that privilege whether they reveled in their gender role or not, consumed me. It made me bitter, sad, lonely and depressed. And we all know where that leads, don't we? It leads to that act of desperation and loneliness that finally reveals to the world how sad and unfulfilled as a human being we really are. You know, the thing we can barely talk about, that final act of hopelessness in a life, the thing starting with S, yeah. That thing. Songwriting. (laughs) Yeah, in the years of frustration, loneliness and feeling different, I spent a lot of time on my own teaching myself how to play the guitar. And I had things I needed to get out of my soul, and they found their way out of my fingertips, onto the guitar strings, through my voice, and with practice, eventually, beyond my bedroom, and into public performance. And by 16, I'd actually become a star. Well, at my high school and district music camp, at least. (laughs) Songwriting and performing saved me from the worst effects of my dysphoria. It sustained me for a long time through dreams that never came true and a world that could only see something that I wasn't. It took years for me to believe that I might stand a chance to be me, to find a way back to me, back through the life decisions, the concealment, the songs, the crushes, the childhood gender games, the inklings of gender exclusion and confusion, back through all of it, back to me, a me that could be seen. Decades after I started out in this world as a weird little trans kid, I found myself laying on an operating table about to receive gender magic on the one part of me that mattered most in being seen as I truly am my face. And as I lay there on the operating table, rigged up to heart monitors and intravenous feeds for a marathon nine hours of grinding and tearing away layers of testosterone-induced bone growth and invalidation, I thought of a song, a song about being seen, about being heard, being true to yourself. Paul McCartney's Blackbird. While I waited for the surgeon to arrive, I started singing it in my head. And eventually, and to the surprise of the surgical team in the room, I started singing it aloud. Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You have only waited for this moment to arrive All your life You have only waited for this moment to be free.
1: Thanks for listening. For tickets and dates, follow Queer Stories on Facebook. And for late-night ramblings and pictures of my dog, Frank, follow Maeve Marsden on Twitter. For discount tickets to my shows, as well as other perks, become a supporter of my work on crowdfunding platform Patreon for as little as $4 per month.